We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the second round of the NBA playoffs has commenced. Two of my uh, stronger old man takes is that the season is too long and that too many teams make the playoffs. And to me, the real playoffs, the real, if the point of the playoffs is to determine who the NBA champion is, there's usually about no more than eight teams in any given year. And this season, I think, is no different. We're down to the real deal now. And that's what the, the second round of the playoffs is to me. And we had a couple of good ones today. First, the Milwaukee Bucks, they, they didn't blow out Boston, but they kept them at a pretty good arm's distance for most of that game. And then in game two, the Golden State Warriors pulled out a thriller, a one-point win over Memphis. And so a fun game. The nature of both games was very different. D, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Start where start us wherever you'd like let's start with the early game because we've talked a lot about boston on this podcast pete has uh been eyeing them from from a distance i think about and i think that we've all had as laker fans at least a little bit of fear of what they would look like as a potential championship team their roster build and their construction and their depth i think that they figured a lot of things out especially in the second half of the season mm-hmm. and Darius, pete's been through enough this year okay he doesn't need boston getting to 18 no okay? that's right none He's of us been need that. enough none of us <laughs> need that that's none right of us need it, but especially especially pete. And, and, and so pete though you had pointed out and i think rightfully so that the Bucks were going to represent an interesting challenge for the Celtics because for all of that, like, oh, Kevin Durant was the best player in the first round series against Boston. We saw how Boston's stranglehold defensively could even give a guy like Durant problems. And we talked a lot about the idea of being able to play with force against this Celtics team and meet force with force. And there's no more forceful player in the league than Giannis. 
Embiid is right there with him in his own way, but Embiid is not a full court locomotive. I handle the ball as much from all these various spots on the floor and can still attack you. Yes. Mike, the thing that was, I said this on, on Twitter. And so if you saw that take earlier, then, then excuse me. But one of the things I love about the playoffs is how they can build on themselves. And if you're a team that is looking to make a deep run, sometimes the slate that you face can reinforce you and toughen you and offer you like chances to gain the metal that you need in, in order to, to advance iron sharp sharpens iron, right? That's right. And sometimes there are things that like the previous opponent can prepare you for, for your next opponent. And you sort of like tip your cap to them and say, thank you very much for toughening me in this very specific way. Boston did not get that with their series with the Nets in going up against the Bucs. In fact, it might have been the exact opposite in terms of what type of team the Bucs are, Mike, and how they challenge you and how different it is from the way that the Nets do. And so that was the thing that stood out to me is Brooklyn in their first round series with with Boston made so many like mistakes and live ball turn turnovers and their defense was not playoff ready at all. And Boston got to these spots on the floor and they did mostly what they want against smaller defenders. And I was watching the first half especially, but then throughout the second half too, where it's just like, oh, look at this, a perfectly executed X out rotation. And look at this, Jason Tatum driving in into traffic and there's Giannis and Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis, Brooke Lopez. And then all the backside rotations were clean and everyone understood exactly where they were going to be. And it was sort of culture shock, I think, for Boston. Like, oh my we're not used to seeing seeing this. And so that's sort of what I saw from from that game. And Milwaukee just basically just like what we do works all of the time against whatever sort sort of opponent. And, and so they took the upper hand by playing their game. And I'm wondering how quickly Boston's going to be able to adjust. Well, here's the first correlation between this Bucks team and the Lakers team of a couple of years ago to me that is it's kind of the bigger faster stronger group that we've talked about a lot and the size and the athleticism and that to me is the one thing that can penetrate the type of defense that Boston has where there isn't really a weakness where there's not really a guy that you're going to pull out and screen roll and try to manipulate too much they've got a lot of players to deal with that but you know they start a massive front line here by necessity with Middleton out with Giannis and Bobby Portis and uh, Brooke Lopez and so what they they basically sold out to make Boston have to shoot jumpers and Boston didn't hit enough. They took 50 threes, which is more threes than they've taken all season long. I think their, no, previous, they actually, their previous high was against Milwaukee and it was actually they took 51 against Milwaukee in the last game they played each other in the season. So this is actually the second time Milwaukee's forced them into 50 plus threes. It speaks to the matchup. OK, there you go. So I so I was listening to Celtics radio. So basically I was watching the first the, I watched the first half of my car. Um, as, as you guys saw, I had to go to the Laker facility to get a boot 
because I hurt my, I hurt myself playing yeah, Mike. playing soccer over the weekend. I'm it's fine, okay, but I got to be in the boot for a little bit. I'll be fine in two to three weeks. Anyway, the playoffs so, have been have been hard from an injury perspective for everybody. Mike, we got sideline reporters yes. dropping out. Two We're three, dropping. you're not even in We're the dropping. playoffs, and yeah. <laughs> so while I'm so while I'm listening, and maybe this ends up being bad information from Celtics Radio, I will follow up uh, quickly with their sideline reporter. But they they said that their previous high in three point attempts was 46. Now maybe that was from the post. Maybe that was from the first round. But uh, Pete, your information I'd certainly trust. So generally speaking, though, they don't take that many threes, right? And but they couldn't get anything going in the paint. So they scored. Get this for the game: twenty points in the paint. That's nothing. It's nothing. They couldn't get anything going inside against any of the Milwaukee Lamps. And basically, they are playing a hard eight-man rotation, right? It's it's their starters, and then it's Grayson Allen. Connaughton and Javon Carter, uh, who's a good perimeter guard. And and so like that was the way in Boston, especially as Darius just pointed out, a major contrast to Brooklyn where you got small dudes all over the place and you have places you can pick. You can take your pick of guys that you want to go at, you know, on that team. And so it was a little bit of a shock there. And I I think it's going to be a long series. I think Boston can play better. I think they're going to give them some problems. And they actually played Giannis pretty well. Like Giannis was nine for 25. But guess what he had? Tw- uh, 13 rebounds, 12 assists. So that he reminds me, Pete, in that sense of LeBron, where in, in what Boston didn't face, even in the sense of Durant, where you can't like he's going to get stuff, you know, whether like whether it's his own offense or every time it seemed like Giannis kicked out to a teammate, they hit the three. And, and then I'm like, well, is that luck? Well, it's not luck. It's because the defense is sold out. And so the guy is wide open when he's taking that three. And that's the benefit of having that super, superstar. And Giannis yeah. is a step above uh, even, you know, even Jason Tatum, who is clearly, he's clearly jumping all over players as he goes up the top 10, but he's not at Giannis's level. Giannis, man, is look, if Giannis stays healthy, he's going to have himself quite a case at the end of his career because he keeps getting better on top of everything. Some of the passing reads that he made. Um, I actually want to want to back up just a little bit and we'll, we'll get to the passing reads. But I've spoken before about the idea that basketball has that rock, paper, scissors type of attribute to it. And a lot of what we've been talking about, about that difference between Brooklyn and Milwaukee is, let's say, let's say Brooklyn are the scissors and they're going to carve you up, right? It's KD and Kyrie Irving with great gathers and shot making and ball handling and and the skill components of basketball can carve a team up. But when you're playing rock, paper, scissors, if you're the scissors, what's going to beat you is the rock and it's going to beat you up. And that's, and Boston is a rock team. If I were to make an analogy now, Pete, Pete, quick, quick thing. Ideal basketball team. Would you rather have rock, paper, or, or scissors? <laughs> Mike, just, really, Mike, there's a whole pot about that. No. <laughs> we'll, get to, we'll get to that in August, Jerry. Yes, that's right. That's an August pod. The, the, yes. Uh, I like the rock, though. It's my point. Yes. And, and so a, a good portion of how Boston plays is predicated upon being really physical. Like they're big across the board and they, uh, especially in their starting lineup, you've got Marcus Smart, who is really developed as a passer in particular that makes him, he's not really a point guard or didn't like he, that's not really how he entered the league, at least offensively, but he's really grown in that respect. And between his ball handling and shot creation, Tatum's ball handling and shot creation, 
and Browns and and even Horford, right? Horford facilitates a great a lot of great offense for them. It's kind of this collectively shared duty. And that's one of the reasons I love that Milwaukee picked up full court in that game. We'll talk about about that probably a little bit later. So that distributed ball handling um, allows you to defensively basically play all wings and bigs when you can. And if you're able to switch everything, that is a real tough ask for a lot of defenses around the league. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about how that idea of advantage creation plays so heavily into what we were talking about before the break. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So if you're big and you're mobile and able to switch everything, oftentimes that means that the advantage can't be created in the first place, right? I've got the ball and you set a screen for me, that which is the number one way that in, that offenses try to create advantage artificially that isn't just like this guy is better than the guy across from him. It's by setting screens. But if you can just switch that, that nullifies a lot of that advantage. And so what's the normal counter to that is we're going to match up hunt. Oh, you're going to switch everything? I'm going to pick your worst defender on the floor and then attack him one-on-one. Well, if your worst defenders, who who are you picking on in that starting lineup? And that's a big key to Boston's success, especially with they've got a couple of groups. They don't, as Mike has alluded to a couple of times, they don't go that deep with this idea, but they go deep enough and certainly have a closing lineup where this absolutely absolutely is in play. So when you can do that, you don't allow advantage in the first place. And that's why if you watch tape on Boston, a lot of their defense was like, holy crap, like. No one's getting anything like there's not even like the flicker of a decent shot attempt on this possession because they've switched everything and there's been no advantage created because there's no mismatch that exists on the floor. Giannis is drawing two no matter who your defense is. And that is when you can fund when you can get Boston past that past the when, when you can create advantage against Boston because D that's what I've seen in them that they're great at is preventing advantage in the first place like Giannis is always going to draw two and so it puts them into things they're still good at they're really good on rotations smart's going to draw charges uh white will draw charges they they are are good in their rotations but they're not as special as they are at their ability to switch and but 
Giannis is a guy that gets the wheel turning on offense in ways where if like you have guys that can make the right read and aren't scared of the moment, everything can still kind of work offensively, even against a, a great switching defense. Yeah. So that idea of creating advantage, Giannis is just too good. He's too big. He's too agile. He's too strong. And he, even if he's not outright drawing a double team, he requires attention. And the thing, and this is where continuity matters. And Mike brings this up a lot, but it's, it is pretty important. Like Giannis has been playing for this head coach for a long time. They've been basically doing the same stuff a long time, right? And so you get rid of a DiVincenzo, okay, well, then we just plug in Grayson Allen, right? Like, and Bobby Portis is there now a couple of years, Drew Holiday's there a couple of years, and all of, Brooke Lopez been there longer than that, and it's just like, okay, well, this is what we do. The guy that matters most is Giannis, and he's been here the longest, and it's sort of, and even without Middleton, they're able to manufacture the types of baskets. And this is where I wonder if Boston's adjustment is, okay, we can't let Giannis get 13 assists, right? Or 12 assists. Maybe the plan is to have him score 50 Hmm. and sort of stay home more and not devote all that extra attention to him. And it's basically just like, all right, well, if you score... 45 points against single coverage of Al Horford. Like basically we just throw our bigs at you, right? Here's Al Horford. Here's here's, Williams. Here's time Lord. Here's Daniel Tice, right? Here's Grant Williams. And we're saving Tatum from that ask, except for maybe like two or three minute stretches each half. And you let Giannis go that route. So for sure. And then, At that same time, Boston's thinking to themselves, okay, Tatum went six for 18. Jalen Brown was rough. He was four for 13. Marcus Smart was three for 11. So Boston can tell themselves they're going to shoot better. But at the same time, Milwaukee, with their set defense and with the bigs that they have and with Giannis and with Lopez protecting the rim and with Portis's length, like it's there isn't that immediate path for Boston to just be getting certainly not to the rim. But so so right. th- so those guys are going to shoot better. But that to me is the problem for Boston is that, yes, these guys will probably play better and they'll shoot better. And maybe it'll be from three, maybe whatever it's going to be. But it's not just a shoe in if Milwaukee can replicate the style of defense that they're playing in this in the shots that they're forcing Boston into. You don't beat Milwaukee at the rim. They're both their personnel and their game plan is geared toward not yes. giving shots up at the rim. Yes. So for years, ju- right? For years. For years, exactly. Like it's a an ingrained philosophical thing that just like D said, Giannis, the best player in that defense, has been with this coach and is like they it is deep understanding from everybody involved and that's not to say you can't beat Milwaukee's defense but for Boston to be able to do that they're going to have to be um they're going to have to incorporate more pull-up jumpers more mid-range and floaters and that that's this series is going to be a test of their skill because they're not going to be able to that's the one game in Chicago one Pete right whereas Mm -hmm. but where DeRozan just hit a million mid-range jumpers yep yeah hard to win four of those though right Mike like yeah that's the thing yeah yeah. Well, this is where 
I thought Tatum was going to get it going when he started to where he hit. It was like over the course of four or five possessions, he hit like two pull up jumpers and one of them was a long three. And Lopez Mm -hmm. was in a drop a little bit. And it was Mm -hmm. like and you could tell Lopez was a little bit frustrated, like, oh, I needed to be up a little bit higher. But but I'm betting Coach Bud was just like, no, you're good. You're good doing it just how you did it. Just just like that, because honestly, Milwaukee wants you to shoot 50 something threes. And they want them to be all above the break, right? And then what they want is for that rebound to kick out right to around the top of the charge circle or the dotted line area. They want Giannis to be the guy who's grabbing the rebound. And then they want to run. And then they want Giannis to take literally two dribbles (laughs) and Euro step and then lay it in right off of the backboard or kick it out to shooters when those guys are filling corner. And it's a very simple game plan, and Lakers fans should be very familiar with it. It's the same damn game plan they used to win the 2020 championship. Because honestly, Coach Bud and Frank Vogel come from the same defensive school of thought, which is we protect the rim first. The rim is the most important part. If you protect the basket and you do not foul, this is where you win the game defensively. Because in the big picture, in the big picture, that's the idea of, of if you're a pure jump shooting team, no one is going to shoot well enough over the course of an entire series to beat us that much when we're going to punish you on the other end by attacking the basket. And it's a formula that is tried and true over a long stretch of basketball history. One of the things that that I love and I don't always see and I hope to get better at this over the years is when like one concept from one area of the game and another concept from another area kind of work in harmony. I think that picking up full court is all part of this same kind of stew about like that idea of Boston had is they don't have a lot of guard play almost by design. Right. Like and but in that, like, oh, we're going to ball pressure you with Drew Holiday. They forced several turnovers, Milwaukee did, by picking up full court illegal screens, you know, plays that got flubbed. But the kind of hidden, you can't really chart this or see it, but it definitely exists, is the, at the wear and tear on your legs and on your players' legs is when you are – Look, having to guard Giannis on one end and box out Brooke Lopez. And it's just like they're big. Milwaukee's big at every position. Even Drew is big. And when you have to do that and you've got like you can get the ball up court, no problem. But it just takes a little bit of extra effort and gas. And then all of a sudden your three ball, like you don't have your touch on your jumper as much. And I, I think that that and the the style of play and the philosophy that you were talking about right there, I think all of that plays in to to uh, a similar idea that I think is going to be a fascinating uh, storyline as this series plays out. In the second segment, we're going to talk about a bit of a looser game, including from the referees. We had an all-timer in game two, Golden State versus Memphis. Mike, uh, what do you think of that that ejection? Don't get fined. Had a real... Real hard time with it, Pete. I to the point where I just found myself not being able to stop tweeting about it from from my personal <laughs> account. I just one of the hallowed truths that should exist, at least in postseason sports of any kind, is the officials should not be a major part of the game if they don't have to be. 
And that foul that Draymond Green committed um, on Brandon Clark did not have to be a major factor in the game. Could have been a flagrant one. Fine. I would have been fine with it being a common foul, but I get the flagrant foul since he hit him in the face to an extent and he grabbed the jersey. But to throw a player out for that and to change the course of the game, I think the basketball gods fought back on behalf of the Warriors. And that's not to diminish credit from Golden State, who who also, because of that, rallied around the flag. And Memphis, in knowing that Draymond Green was not in there, I thought that took away from their intensity. So it kind of it ended up playing out as it should have. And I think the team that deserved to win the game won the game. But that, to me, is just such an egregious thing that should never happen. I don't, And especially after going to review, like, if you have an out, you have to take that out. And it's like in soccer, do not give the red card in a major tournament unless you have to. If you have to. Like, if Zinedine Zidane headbutts, the dude Maserati from Italy in the you have then you ha- I get it you have to throw him out you just can't but if there's an out please take the out and let us play basketball let the players settle it on the court so I think you know how we got the Darius displeasure scale I think that Mike's hallowed truths have to be a thing because you've got several like principles you feel very passionate about and I yeah. love when you get like this and so this has to be a thing it's got to be a, a DDS counter anyway Darius. Draymond, ejection. So I agree with Mike. I also agree with what with what Draymond said after the game. I don't know if any of you caught the clip. He went so Draymond didn't speak to the media after the game. He went back to his hotel room and he recorded a podcast. And so a man after our own heart here, right? <laughs> Basically, post-game, I'm just skating out. Let me hop on on a pod. It was I got very, something to say. Yeah. Th- that's right. <laughs> And he basically said this, it's like, you know, he's like, I guess, like, color me dumb, because I thought I was just going to get a regular, like, I thought maybe this could just be a regular foul, right? Um, and then he basically said, like, I think I got thrown out based off of reputation, like, that's, that's yeah. reputation playing a part there. I under, I, I'm with Mike in that I could totally see a flagrant one, like, just the look of it the excessiveness of the pulling him down after he had already fouled fouled him and that's a thing that and we say this a bunch but when you're a big strong dude you get hit hard a lot and you don't necessarily go down the way that a dude who's not as big and strong and Clark's a big dude but he's not like LeBron James big and we watched Shaq play for a very long time Shaq got hit a ton and he got hit hard and dudes were hanging on him and raking him across the arms in ways that if you hit a guard like that, those dudes would be out of the game maybe. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so there's a level of physicality that exists when you're, when you go to foul a bigger dude that, and then I thought Clark sold it some a little bit. He sold it some. And so, Pete, to set to set this up for you, what Draymond was doing, I think, was to try. He was making a playoff foul to to offer another soccer analogy. This is when you take the yellow card when the guy's going to get a breakaway if you don't pull his jersey at midfield. You know, and so it's like, yep, I get it. I know. I'll take the. Yeah, I get it. It's going to be a foul. That's fine. But there is no intent to injure or to hurt or to like, there's nothing like that. In fact, 
Draymond makes sure that Clark doesn't hit the ground by lifting him up at the end after he pulls the jersey. So it's like we all know what he's doing. And just because you go to the to the film and you can argue that like that's the referee's job is to understand the spirit of the game. And yes. the spirit, the that. spirit of the play to me was that Draymond was trying to foul him. He was trying to ensure that he didn't have an and one free throw. But the last thing that he was doing was trying to injure or trying to hit him in the face or trying to get himself thrown out of a playoff game. What what to you guys is the point of a flagrant two? Like, what is the reason that it exists in our game? Dangerous and excessive, uh, like basically Grayson Allen on Alex, on Alex Caruso. Right. Like you could you could have hurt this. Yeah. dude. Not necessarily that you did, but this is a dangerous yeah. play. He's off like, balance. You're swinging at his head. Right. Like you're like not good for the game. Right. Like not good for the spirit of the game. Like it's like something that is outside of the bounds of the competitive spirit of the game. That to me is the only reason somebody should get ejected. And that play was not it. No, it wasn't. D, do you have anything to No, Like I thought the refs, I, I did not. Beyond that play, I thought the refs were a little bit too active in yeah, this game. They, that was an awful game. That that was a spirit of the game type stuff. Way beyond that call, it's like, look, this is these are the playoffs, which also means that more people are tuning in. It's a better, like, it's way more competitive than the regular season. I hope we can all see that in comparison, just like the intensity level. It's it, like if you've been watching every day of these games, great playoffs. It's been super entertaining. And, and Pete, you call that. You call that. Like, that there was, that's part of your devaluation of the regular season thing. Part of what we've gotten there is we've gotten the more competitive playoffs. It's, it's been awesome. I've loved these playoffs. And part of what I love about the playoffs is watching certain players play. Draymond Green is one of those players. And, that's not to say that if it were somebody else, it deserves to be a flagrant, a flagrant two, right? But the whole idea, like from a ref's point of view, to me, the way that you referee a game is to facilitate good basketball, right? And you 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 call fouls, you call infractions to to do that, but. That like one of the, one of the best changes of this this season has been the last two minutes of games don't take thirty minutes yeah. the way that they did last year. Now they blew a call at the end of this game that ball should have shouldn't have been the jump ball at midcourt right it should have been Golden State's ball and to me like that's going to happen and thankfully the right team still won right there was there was justice there but the over officiousness and I hate we'll get to talking about the game in a sec but the over officiousness of of the referees huh, uh that like it's like you're not seeing the forest from the trees and that that to me is like an nba wide problem where i see that in enough games where it's like yeah we, like they don't get it like what what's the whole point of the bigger the bigger picture you know yeah i thought that they tried to control the game a little bit too much and there is an ebb and flow to basketball that i think makes it the best sport right maybe if yeah. you're really into to to soccer or or your you know European football, then then like I, I get it. There's a beautiful flow to to that sport as well. But the 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 nature of basketball, the up and down nature, and and like the potential for highlights on any given play, and how quickly and how strung together the those highlights can be. It's it's the best sport to me, and the referees need to be a part of that. I hope that they're helping to facilitate that flow rather than taking away 
from it. And there's a certain amount of control that they need to have over the game in order to help facilitate that flow. But when they interject themselves too much, then you feel it more than in any other sport as well. And um, Mm. because it should be a flow sport, it's not like baseball where pitch, okay, throw it back, reset, pitch, throw Mm -hmm. it back, reset, or football, snap, throw it or run it, tackle, okay, reset, light, huddle, line up, do it all again. Basketball, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so if the refs interject too much, you, you notice it too much. And I just thought this game, there was a little bit too much. It's not as egregious as I've seen it. Like, it's not the worst game, but but it was noticeable. But enough about the rest. The game was great. It was a one-point game at the end. Jaw had a chance to make a layup, um, a highly contested one. Clay made a great play in order to drift off of Brandon Clark. They ran a blind pig action, Pete, off of an inbounds yep. play. Good old field, yep. field play, yep. A good old, you know, lifted right from the triangle. High post entry out of an inbounds, though, instead of out of just a regular half-court set. High post entry, Speed cut by the guard, drop off pass, guard, the guard keeps keeps going, and hopefully that guard gets gets a layup. Great play design, but I thought Clay, who had missed a couple of free throws before that, and then hit a big three as well. He came up big at the end, left Brandon Clark, who was his man. If Clark fakes that and dribble and fakes the handoff yeah. or or fakes the bounce pass and pivots and and just drives, he gets a dunk there because clay just left him entirely because he saw it coming so what stood out to you pete about the game in general because it was a highly contested affair between two good teams it was a chaotic game that's what stood out to me and this was an attribute that memphis's previous series had is like if you watch that memphis minnesota series man it was (laughs) it was a roller coaster and and this game was as, as well um gosh memphis could not secure defensive rebound to end that game with Draymond out Golden State went super small and this is a series that I think is going to have a lot of high variance but during the game D you were like and you were like look Jackson's hit a bunch of threes um Draymond got kicked out Ja had 30 plus and I think this is an easier series in that whole like rock paper scissors idea Minnesota's a physical team Patrick Beverly's a physical guard Carl Anthony Towns a big guy they got big wings uh Anthony Edwards is a, is a big time athlete and so that's an attribute across the board that I think Memphis struggled with well the Warriors are not a physical team. They're they're a, a scissors a scissors team, right? They're going to carve you up with precision and their ability to shoot. And but shooting has its own high degree of variance. And then just I think the way that Memphis plays, especially when they're they've got so many guys that could make an argument on any given night that they should be the main guy down the stretch. Like I actually thought the last play should have been run for Bane because it's really hard for a small guard to get a clean look in under five seconds. They did the best. The The play call was great for that to get him downhill, but it's just, you're going to probably be contested. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, I, I think between shooting and then, how Memphis plays, Mike. This is going to be a pretty chaotic series, but it was one, uh, and, and and but it was one that Golden State came out on top of when Memphis probably needed to win that one. Yeah, I think so too. And I thought that the Draymond ejection in the first place it just it changed the way it changed how scrappy Golden State was. And I thought 
Mm, like mm -hmm. that element where they were able to rally and because they knew that they had to play like that. Right. And yeah. Memphis, I thought once that happened, they started to feel the, oh, we have to win this game. And they didn't really play like Memphis typically plays, which is with force and, and with athleticism and with everybody kind of everybody rallying around this singular cause that got them through, through their regular season. And so Memphis instead is relying on Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant. Those guys took 23 pointers combined. And Golden State, that's exactly what we talked about what Milwaukee wants Boston to do. Golden State's going to be thrilled if Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant are just bombing threes the whole time. Yeah. And and guess what? They hit them, but that even that kind of takes Memphis out of what they're typically what they typically are, which is being really solid defensively, running, attacking the crap out of the rim, all of the things that Memphis does, that that just that stuff I thought went away. And that played into Golden State's hands. And they were able to to eventually then it became an execution game and that's going to favor Golden State. And For sure. and it did. And and also just Jordan Poole, 31, 9 and 8 off the bench. Now he was basically a starter, especially once Draymond went out. He started the second half. He played 37 minutes. But adding that to what Steph did, even with this with a tough game from Clay who missed two, so he hit the big three, then he misses two clutch free throws, but he was six for 19 and pressing. So the fact that Golden State is able to get that win to me was big. And I, I thought Golden State was eventually going to win the series anyway. And I think that, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if Memphis wins a game in Golden State. Now, maybe Darius will go. But yeah, th this was one of those that Darius talked about last series where Minnesota, you can't blow double-digit leads in the fourth quarter and you also can't lose the game in which you got a, a huge favor by having Draymond Green not play in the second half you can't lose that game I said it because Minnesota did did this Minnesota played well enough to win five games against the Grizzlies and instead they only won two and right now Memphis they they should have won that game the things that went in their favor right so I agree with you, Pete. I think Jaw's going to play better this series than he played last series. We, I, I mentioned this earlier in the, the pod about how the previous series can set you up for the next series. Well, guess what? Minnesota and their very physical, in-your-face, like high-ball pressure defense against yeah. Jaw, that is not what Golden State is going to do to him. And he's going to feel relief. Coming into yeah. this series, like, ah, I'm playing more free. And Jaron Jackson not having to defend a dude who's going to attack him so much and put him in foul trouble pretty much every given possession. On any given possession, he, he may end up foul fouling him. And the subsequent lack of rhythm that he then played with offensively, he's going to play with much more freedom offensively, too against this Warriors team. And when they go small, he's just like, oh, Andrew Wiggins is defending me. Oh, jo like Jonathan Kaminga is on me. I thought Draymond going out, actually, they put Looney on him. Mm -hmm. And I thought Looney was able to hold up in the post, at least against Jackson, much better than any of the yeah. other Warriors options. Now, Triple J was hitting the three so, so well that those post touches were few and far, far between. But when he did try to go down there against Looney, he didn't score at all. So I agree with you, Pete. I think that Memphis's best players are going to have a little bit more sense of self 
in this series where they where things come easier for them in certain ways that Minnesota did not allow for them, even though Golden State's a much better defense than than Minnesota in will will in the aggregate. That said, when John and Jaron Jackson combined to hit like 10 threes or however many they will they mm-hmm. hit. And those dudes on the season shooting the low 30s on threes. And the other team's best defensive player and the and one of the main fulcrums and drivers of how their offense flows gets ejected. You have to win that game if you're in the game at all. That's a game that you should win because otherwise, now you have to beat the Warriors five times. Now, you might be good enough to beat the Warriors five times. You might be, right? They were the number two seed. They're good. But I I wouldn't want to have to beat a team five times. I'd much prefer to only have to beat a team three times. And that's what Golden State has in front of them now. They only have to win three more times. And Memphis still has to win four. And in the big picture, they're probably going to be kicking themselves a little bit that they didn't get this one. Even though Golden State can look and say, well, all right, yep. Is Poole going to play that good every night? Maybe not. But they got the win. And and so Golden State has to feel good about where they are. One of the great things about the playoffs is these game ones are kind of a the opening showing of the cards, right? Like just that initial look, how do they look against each other? And that changes over the course of a seven game series. And it will in both the Boston uh, Milwaukee series, but also this Memphis and Golden State series, where I think what you explained, D, about Memphis kind of coughing that one up is one of the many lessons that young teams learn in their multi-year journeys the contrast between these the contrast between these two series in the east and the west that we that we just talked about today is that boston milwaukee they don't have another guy to call in off their bench to come in and change the series golden state and memphis do they've got guys that are just there on the bench that can come in and potentially change things and swing things so boston milwaukee a single ankle tweak or whatever I just did to my calf slash ankle, that that could that will make all of the difference in that series. That's how thin the the gap is between those teams. Should be fun. Should be fun. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, cover more of this, uh, hit some Laker topics tomorrow for sure. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. It will. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Right! Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes! And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry.
That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com